At the end of the last chapter, the children had managed to feed themselves with uh, stuff from the sea, mussels and clams and potatoes that they had bought. And they were, before they hunkered down for the night, they were sharing their opinions about their mother and their father and the relationship they had. And you could tell when you listened to it that there were significant issues that they had had with their parents. So we're meant to feel that what they're doing makes sense. Chapter 5. Dicey awoke to the beginning of a bright day. She lay still for a long time, looking at the cloudless sky through the branches and leaves of green maples and sycamores. The leaves made designs on the background of the sky, intricate patterns that shifted with any slightest breeze. She heard James stir and rolled over on her side to watch him. James' eyes opened. He yawned and stretched. Dicey waited for him to say what he always said first thing, about it still being true, then everything would be back to normal. He caught her eye. I wish I'd seen you going into the boys' bathroom, he said. I thought I'd split when Sammy told me. I noticed, Dicey said. How's your head? James rolled it back and forth. Almost okay, he said. What do you mean, almost? Does it hurt? James thought. It feels tender, as if it could hurt. It doesn't exactly hurt, but it feels like it will. Dicey sat up. We can't go until James is better, she said sternly to herself. That's the most important thing, so they'd have to wait another day. They had only apples left in their food supply, and Dicey wanted to save them in case. So they went down to the little beach, leaving James behind. Three or four families already crowded the beach, and the Tillermans had to eat the apples for breakfast after all. <coughs> it's a weekend, James explained. That means a lot of people around, especially on the beaches, I bet. So what'll we do? Dicey asked him. She answered herself. We'll try fishing in the marsh. You'll have to stay here alone, she cautioned James. Danny, a voice called from the road. Is that you? It was Edie, and Dicey stood up to show the girl where they were. Lewis was with her. They had come, they said, to see how the third brother was and to warn the children that it was a weekend so lots of people would be in the park. Edie was carrying something bulky, an instrument. She sat down beside James and played on it a little, leaning it back against her shoulder. The sound was part banjo, part harp. You like that? she asked James. What is it? An auto harp. Here, she said, and sang a song for them about a girl who wanted to follow her boyfriend to war. I like that, Maybeth said when Edie finished. I do too, honey, Edie said. Do you know any songs you'd like me to sing? Maybeth shook her head. Dicey looked at Edie over James's head and asked, Do you know Pretty Peggy O? Sure, Edie said. She bent her head over the auto harp, and her long hair fell down like a curtain. She strummed a couple of chords, then raised her face. 
But this wasn't their song. This song was about William the False Lover and how he tricked Pretty Peggy O into running away with him, but then murdered her. Edie sang the song quick and cruel, with sharp, metallic sounds from her instrument. You're a good singer, James said. I thought we were going, Sammy said. Going where, Edie said. Fishing, Dicey told her. Do you have the hook and the line, James asked. Dicey nodded. And worms. She had thought of bait. Count on James to think things through. Dicey thought, and forgave him for his lack of persistence the day before and for being careless and falling. Shall we stay with James, Edie asked. Dicey didn't object. When they had gotten out of earshot of the campsite, Sammy said he wasn't going fishing with them. He was going to the playground. He didn't want to walk anymore, ever. He didn't want to explore. He wouldn't get into any trouble. He didn't mind being left alone. And he would not go with them, no matter what Dicey said or did. Dicey decided she could probably leave him safely at the playground. She instructed him to go back to the campsite if he got bored, not to go wandering about. And don't talk to anyone. Why not? Sammy demanded. Well, you know, don't talk about us. I wouldn't do that. I'm not stupid. Maybeth and Dicey crossed the dirt road from the playground and found the path to the small campground. Another path led to a bluff overlooking the marshes. They walked without speaking through the warm morning. The only sounds were the rustling of the leaves above them and the rustling of their feet on the leafy ground. They emerged from the woods on top of a low bluff that marked the border of the marshlands. Below, the heavy grasses swayed. Narrow canals of water moved gently. The scene could have been painted in watercolors. So pale was the green of the grass. So subdued was the blue of the water. They climbed down a short path and stood on the muddy ground of the lowlands. A heron looked up at them, curious, but not afraid. Curious, but not afraid. Before he flew to a more secluded spot, clusters of gnats hovered in the air. It's so quiet, Dicey said. Maybeth nodded. Think there are any fish? Dicey asked, feeling her hunger. Maybeth didn't answer. Dicey walked out along the mud flat until she found a spot she liked. There she baited the hook with the worm from her pocket, put it into the water, and waited. Maybeth sat beside her, braiding seagrass into long and useless lines. Dicey caught a fish almost right away, six or seven inches long. She rebaited the hook and caught another even larger. She couldn't believe her luck. Every few minutes, she could feel the tentative jerky nibble on the end of her line. When she had enough, Dicey took off her shirt and piled her catch into it. As long as they could fish, they wouldn't go hungry. She smiled, smiled at Maybeth. Let's go back and eat, she said. It would be okay. They could wait for James to get well. They stopped by the playground to pick up Sammy, but he, but he wasn't there. Dicey hurried back to their camp. James sat alone, scratching at the ground with a stick. 
Fear clutched at Dicey's stomach. Sammy, she called. She shouldn't have left him alone for so long. James, have you seen Sammy? Sammy stepped out from behind a boulder. Dicey let out a little snort of relief. Look, Dicey held up the fish she had caught. Anybody hungry? Why were you hiding, Maybeth, asked Sammy. We heard somebody coming. I didn't know who it was. His hazel eyes searched out Dicey's face. I found something. What? Bring it over. We need some wood, too, to cook the fish. Sammy went behind the boulder and came out holding a big grocery bag, which he set down before the fireplace. Look at this, he said. Egg salad sandwiches? A bag of potato chips, ham sandwiches, pieces of celery stuffed with peanut butter, a bag of cookies, paper plates, paper cups, paper napkins. James sat silent watching. Where'd you find it? Dicey asked. Left in the woods behind the bathroom, Sammy said. And some people gave me a hot dog too, but I ate it with them. They had ketchup. I was so hungry, he said. Sammy, Dicey spoke slowly. This looks like somebody's picnic. They might have forgotten it, Sammy said. That's not the truth, Dicey said. Is too, Sammy said. What's it matter, James asked. I mean, we're the hungry ones. They could probably go back to the store and buy food, whoever this belonged to, or just go home and eat. We need it. Dicey couldn't entirely disagree with him. But it's stealing, she said. Just food, James argued. Lewis said it should be a natural right for everybody to have enough food. Does Lewis know? No, Sammy wasn't back. Sammy, tell the truth, Dicey said. They left it on one of those tables. I don't know who they were. They left two bags on the table, and I could see there was nobody watching, so I took one. I wanted you all to have something to eat, Dicey. He made himself look straight at her. I wanted to help out. Dicey understood. Well, you surely did that. But stealing, we don't steal. Not unless they had to. Not unless they were starving. And then it should be Dicey herself to do it. Not a little boy six years old. I think it was pretty smart of him, James said, and brave. I ran, Sammy boasted. I ran so fast, it's hard to run with the big bag. Nobody caught me. I'm glad of that, Dicey said, reaching to pat his tangled hair. I don't know how we would have gotten you back if you'd been caught. Would you get me back, Sammy asked. Of course. What do you think? I don't know, Sammy said. We're all together, aren't we? Dicey asked him. We just have to get you back, but it would be hard, really hard, so I'm glad. They ate the celery and the egg salad sandwiches right away because mayonnaise could spoil. The rest of Sammy's food they put away for some other time. Meanwhile, they built a fire and roasted Dicey's fish over it. Even James was full when they finished. They stayed put for the rest of that long, 
early summer afternoon. But when the evening cold came into the air and the families on the beach left, the Tillermans went down by the water. James sat quietly by the water's edge, while the rest played tag until dark. James wanted quiet. The heat had given him a headache, but he told Dicey she didn't have to worry about him. When they returned to the campsite, Lewis and Edie were waiting for them. James, we got you something, Edie said. It's convalescent food. She handed him a small grocery bag. It held two oranges. Thanks, James said. They look terrific. He peeled an orange and ate it. Dicey grabbed the other one from him, peeled it, and split it in half. She gave half to Maybeth and half to Sammy. James looked like he wanted to say something to her, but he didn't. Guess what, Edie said. Her voice came out of the dark. What? When we went to get the oranges, there were some men in there buying food who said his lunch had been stolen. Lewis took over the story. He was a big, fat guy, asking what the country was coming to when a family's picnic lunch was stolen in a public park. He said it was probably dope addicts. He was all for calling in the police, but the guy who runs the, the store said it was probably somebody's idea of a joke. The big guy said that he could, if he could get his hands on the joker, he'd show him what he thought of it. He reminded me of your father, didn't he, Edie? Isn't that just what your father would do? Then he pulls out a wallet, a foot thick, crammed with bills. He peels off a couple and goes out still complaining about his bad luck. I say good luck to whoever walked off with his lunch. Why, James asked. Big guys like that with thick bankrolls, they've got so much that they don't know what to do with it. And they're always the first ones to call in the police on little guys, like us, like you. Dicey went over to the trash barrel to throw out the orange peels. Edie went with her. Danny, I wondered if you kids had taken it. No, Dicey said. No, how could we? We were fishing at the marsh. I thought, you know, if you were hungry enough, <clears throat> Edie said. We're not hungry, Dicey said. We've got plenty. If you say so, Edie said. Lewis called over. Hey, Danny, James says you caught a mess of fish. Glad at the change of subject, Dicey took him, told him about the marsh and how easy it was to catch fish there. Lewis said it was illegal to fish in the marsh because that area was a game sanctuary, so you better be careful. You don't want to get caught at it. How are they supposed to know? How are they supposed to eat then? Dicey asked herself. By buying food, she answered. The whole world was arranged for people who had money, for adults who had money. The whole world was arranged against kids. Well, she could handle it somehow. If you were caught, Lewis said, kids have no legal rights at all. That's one reason I took off. What about you kids, Danny? How come you're on the road? Huh? Dicey asked, pretending she hadn't been listening. You're about the most secretive bunch I've ever met, Lewis said. I don't even know where you're from. Where are you from? Nowhere special, 
Dicey said. You don't trust me, Lewis's voice hovered in the darkness. He waited for an answer. Don't tease him, Lou. I don't trust anyone, Dicey said. It's what you said. Kids have no rights, so we have to be extra careful. Why don't kids have any rights, James asked. Because parents own them. Lewis answered quickly, your parents can beat you, steal your money, decide not to take you to a doctor, anything they want. They couldn't kill me, James continued. That would be murder if it could be proved. James thought about this. Then the only person who will look out for me is myself. You got it. And you better learn how to do that. Learn quick and learn good. Look out for yourself and let the rest go hang, because they're out to hang you. You can be sure of it. What about love? Edie asked. You tell us all about it. Tell us all about your old man and then talk about love, Lewis said. Danny here knows what's what. He doesn't trust anyone. What do you two do when you're not camping here, Dicey asked them. She saw the two heads turn toward one another and the look they exchanged. I can't remember, Edie said in a soft voice. Nothing before now seems real to me anymore. Nothing before is worth remembering. So I guess you'd say we didn't do anything. And now we do something. We plucked the lotus, right, honey? Then they got up to leave. Edie said she'd come by tomorrow and bring James some soup. That sounds great. James said. The two young people stole silently away. Dicey was listening, but she couldn't hear their footsteps. For a little while, she wondered if they were hanging around to overhear something. The next morning, Sunday morning, dawned warm. Morning spread a haze of golden heat over the trees and boulders. James said it wasn't a good day for him to travel. It was too hot. It was too far. He just wasn't feeling right. So Dicey took her family across the top of the highland to the long beach. She guessed correctly, as it turned out, that that beach would be a favorite spot, that it would be crowded on this hot Sunday. She planned for the Tillermans to lose themselves among the mob of people there. James protested, saying he wanted to wait for Edie, but Dicey told him he had to come with them. The sun would give him a headache, he said. She said she thought he could stand that. How much longer are we going to have to wait anyway, she demanded. I don't know, I told you. I'll say when I feel okay again, James said. It's not my fault I'm sick. Dicey didn't answer. The long beach was a flat crescent that marked the edge of a shallow cove. Children straddled the water's edge, and a few bolder ones were actually swimming. Towels crowded the sand, the bright pieces of like bright pieces of confetti. On the towels lay people in bathing suits, surrounded by picnic baskets, paper bags, canvas totes, blaring radios, and coolers full of ice and drinks. The Tillermans walked about unnoticed and later returned to their camp for a quick lunch of ham sandwiches and potato chips, which finished off the food in Sammy's bag. 
Then they went back to the Long Beach. Dicey was glad not to meet Lewis and Edie. Later in the afternoon, when the beach began to empty, Dicey looked around to gather James and Maybeth and Sammy together. They could leave tomorrow. She had watched James, and she was pretty sure he was fine. Sammy was nowhere to be seen. Neither James nor Maybeth had spoken with him, not for a long time. Dicey looked out over the low sandbars, not yet covered by the incoming tide. She knew she didn't have to worry about Sammy having drowned. She decided to wait a few minutes. He might, after all, just have slipped away to the woods to pee. Sure enough, within ten minutes, she saw his sturdy body trudging down the path from the highlands. They went to meet him. As they walked along the cliff that fronted the sound, Dicey asked him where he'd been. Sammy turned his head to look behind them and then announced with swelling pride, I got us another one. Another what? Another food bag. It was all the leftovers the family couldn't finish. I watched them eat, then pack up the bag. Then they all went down to rinse off sand in the water, and I grabbed the bag and I ran. It's at the camp. Good job, Sammy, James said. No, it isn't, Dicey said. She knelt down in front of him, and Sammy knows that, she said, looking straight in his eyes. His mouth grew stubborn and he would not look at her. Stealing isn't right, Dicey said. Not even if you're hungry, Sammy argued. You're not hungry, not really hungry, Dicey said. We never stole things. Tillermans don't have to steal. Well, maybe we should, James interrupted. It's like a war, isn't it? Us against everyone, so we can get to Bridgeport. Otherwise, you'd have asked the policeman for help right away when there was one hanging around our car. Remember, Dicey, remembered. Remember? Dicey remembered. So if it's like that, what's wrong with Sammy taking somebody's leftovers? And more, too, Sammy grinned up to James. There's money, a wallet. Oh, no, Dicey groaned. Sammy, you can't take a wallet the way you can food. You just can't get away with that. We have to take it back. No, Sammy cried. Yes, Dicey said firmly, and on the double. I'm right, aren't I, James? Even James agreed. Dicey sent James and Mabeth on together, mussels and clams and firewood. She hurried Sammy back to the camp, and he showed her where he'd hidden the stolen bag. But they're gone home, he protested. Their towel was gone when I came back. Worse and worse, Dicey thought hard and fast. She took the wallet of the bag. It was a man's wallet, brown leather, and grabbing Sammy by the hand, ran back to the Long Beach. She wanted to make him give it back himself and apologize, but she couldn't, not at the risk. The Long Beach was empty under shadows that fell from the cliff out toward the water, but Dicey heard voices coming from somewhere. She stood halfway down the steep hill and made Sammy 
point to where he had found the bag. She lifted her arm and hurled the wallet at that spot. She didn't wait to see where it landed, but turned and ran back laboriously uphill. She didn't wait for Sammy. Safe again under cover of the trees, Sammy spoke sullenly. It had almost twenty dollars in it. Dicey didn't answer. She couldn't think of what to say. Finally, she said, You have got to do what I tell you. What I tell you, not anybody else. Sammy nodded as if he understood. They had a fire on the beach that evening and steamed mussels so hot and chewy they burned their tongues on the tawny meat. The smell of damp seaweed, richer than the smell of wet wood, rose with the smoke from the fire. and lingered over their faces. They were salty after the day at the water. They were together, the light dimmed, melting into early twilight. Stars became visible, pinpricks of light on the silken sky. If they hadn't known better, they would have thought that when the fire died out and the moon shone bright in the sky, they could turn and trudge slowly up over the familiar dunes to their home, where Mama would look up absent-mindedly to greet them and ask if they had a good day. Sammy dug wells for the water to run into. Maybeth arranged shells and water-polished stones into an intricate design. James skimmed rocks out over the water. We'll get going again tomorrow, Dicey said. I'm not sure, James protested. I don't think I should yet. Dicey looked at him. He looked like he meant what he said. We could stay here, Sammy added. It's okay here. Dicey sat down beside the fire, her knees drawn up under her chin, poking at the blaze with a long stick and thinking. They had to go. But what if James wasn't better and it hurt him? Should she wait another day? Lewis and Edie came up silently behind her and surprised her with some chords on the auto harp. Dicey welcomed the music, but she had wanted to avoid any further contact with them. Edie played and sang. Lewis took Maybeth back by the hand and led her in a galloping dance up and down the beach. Sammy trailed them in a jig of his own, while James clapped time energetically. Dicey watched him. Some brother. He was no more sick than she was. They were leaving tomorrow if she had to drag them out of the park herself. The dance over, they all relaxed around the fire while Edie continued to sing. Lewis held Maybeth at his side. Sammy curled up against Dicey. The sky turned black velvet. Deep satin water curled against the sand. We gotta go to sleep. Dicey said after a while. Don't go yet, Danny, Edie said, pulling down the auto harp. I don't know when I've had a better time. Dicey stood up and dusted sand from her fanny. Barely awake, Sammy waited beside her. James stayed seated, his eyes reproachful. Maybeth? Dicey spoke gently. 
Maybeth came over. Good night, honey, Lewis said. Maybeth didn't answer. Doesn't she ever say anything, Lewis asked? Sure, sometimes. Wait, Edie said. We'll come with you. They climbed up the steep path at the top of the hill. Dicey turned to say good night so they could go away. But Lewis was holding on to Edie's arm and pointing. Between the trees, they saw a bright light that rhythmically flashed red. What is it? Dicey asked. Shut up, Lewis said. Move it, Edie. They slipped away into the darkness. He was right, Dicey realized. It was a police car going along the road that ran past the campsites. She pulled her family into the bushes and told them to lie down. It's a police car, James said quietly, heading toward our camp. I dumped the bag in the trash, Dicey said. That's where they'll look, James said. I can't see what's going on, Dicey said. Lie quiet, everyone. Darkness rustled through the trees. Faintly, the water lapped at the shore. Dicey thought, we're going up to the woods, past the playground, long way around, she said. We'll sleep there and get out of here at first morning. But, James said, Dicey felt Maybeth's small hand on her arm. But nothing. We've been fine all day today and you know it. Don't lie to me. Not anymore. I won't believe you. They waited a long time, then began the silent journey across the dark park. They made a wide circle around their campsite. They saw nothing, they heard nothing, only the insects and the noise of the wind. Dicey was sure of her direction, but she wasn't sure just where they were until she saw the pale emptiness of the playground before her. They were so tired by then that they just stumbled into the woods beyond and slept there, slept uneasily.